Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I am Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Hello, my name is Turayev. I am um, the director of Certificate Accreditation Program at NC National Accreditation Board, which is a national quality assurance and conformity assessment body of the United States and is a wholly owned subsidiary of American National Standards Institute, NC. I live in Northern Virginia and between Dresden and Great Falls. Although my office is in DC, but because of the pandemic, almost last more than 10 months I've been working from my home office now. I cannot really say I missed the office because the commute time that almost an hour one way I have to now I can focus on other things that I don't have to waste my time. But of course I love working in an office environment, especially interaction with my colleagues. Sometimes you get like incredible ideas while you are having a chat in the kitchen or corridors, but that's what we have to do now. How do you still stay in touch with the field of knowledge management? Because I know that's what you focused on with your research and your PhD work. Yes. Interestingly, my interest in knowledge management has started like around 2000. 2003 uh, when I was doing my doctoral dissertation and that time knowledge management was the the topic everybody was talking about it and I want to write a dissertation about and start doing document review um, digging and all sort of information and then after a while and, and I say after a while after a couple of years of um, research I kind of came across a different types of approaches to knowledge management. Mainly, there is one approach considered knowledge as a commodity, similar to information. The other considered knowledge is a socially created phenomena, but not a commodity. So then I built my research on that, and I took a little bit different routes and finally complete my dissertation, etc. Mm-hmm. Then fast forward, what I'm doing right now is actually kind of doing the knowledge management work because if you take that approach, knowledge is not a commodity like information, but knowledge is a socially created phenomenon. That's what I do, basically helping organizations, creating the value of what they offer, especially when they are offering any type of educational training programs and disseminate what type of content knowledge expertise they have to the others mm-hmm. who are seeking to fill that skill gap in the industry. So I'm kind of, I don't know if that is the term, but I kind of see myself as a knowledge broker. Sure. These entities. Very cool. So really it's interesting because there seems to be a, um, the commodity side versus a social construct. There seems to be opposing wise or uh, drivers to what the end state is, what the requirements are, what the purpose is, and to, let's just talk about how education works, right? Well, it's a commodity, right? Education, training, degrees, Mm -hmm. these are all things that are bought and paid for 
a price tag associated with, but there, the open yes. learning that's available. And I know there was some, I think it was MIT was the first time I ever heard the concept of open university. MIT would put their yes. courseware out. And if you just had the, the hunger to learn, there you go, have at it. You know, there was like this freedom to just learn and understand. Yes. You know, it's a self-paced idea. And so what's the motivator there? If all this information and knowledge is available for free, how do you get the behavior to go get it? You can lead a horse to water, but not always do they drink. What's the motivation? What's the behavior change to help communities, and I'll use the word, not so much organizations, organizations are are usually addressed in the realm of knowledge management, but what about society? You know, if we go to the social structure like you're talking about, where it's a, not a commodity, but a social construct, how do we help communities and society with knowledge and knowledge management? Well, I guess I'm going to go back to that earlier discussion in my dissertation. You know, when I just started my dissertation like 15 years ago, you know, there is this dichotomy called is the difference between data, information, and knowledge. And basically difference between information and data, information is a useful data. And there are a couple of definitions of knowledge, but the most that I like and I even use is Knowledge is a true information. So when you look at knowledge is a true information, there is a subjective part of that. In a given example that you just provided, let's say MIT open courses, anyone can just access those courses. And basically, and even MIT, one of the motivation that MIT said that if you think you can gather that information and you can be as knowledgeable as anyone, then here is your chance. But interestingly, that will not be the case all the time because just because you read a book or you read a content that provided by, by MIT, you may not have the same knowledge of someone who actually attended the school. The reason is that Again, the social interaction part of it. Imagine you are reading a book just about a subject. What you're getting out of that book is gathering information. You don't become knowledgeable just because you read the book. But some people may do so and may apply, and that but actually makes the true information definition basically come along. You are reading a book about traffic rules and you gather information about traffic rules but when you get into your car and you disregard all the traffic <laughs> rules in, on the traffic then yeah. are you knowledgeable about traffic rules or in my mind and actually it's not just my mind but you know for many is being an action oriented so if you think information is a passive commodity that commodity if put in action, becomes knowledge. And of course, it might not be true for everyone because if I read a book about a subject in uh, web development, it will not make sense to me as it will make sense to some computer science graduate. So therefore, what I gather from that book will not be a knowledge to me. It will just stay as the information level. But for a computer science major, 
for a web developer, that will probably will say, hmm, okay, you know, I can just use that information or they can make that connection mentally and also professionally. So therefore they can relate to as a knowledge. So therefore it is socially constructed phenomena, but also it is situational. Depends on your work experience, your worldview, and also where are you in your in your life? You know, what parts that you are busy with and mm. what basically your goals are. Sometimes you read a book 10 years ago, it doesn't make sense to you, but when you read it now, you say, oh, I, you become enlightened because now it hits you. That is knowledge to me. So it sounds like in that viewpoint, knowledge is always a moving target. Yes. And that probably the beauty of it, you know, because when you think about this, you cannot say you got it. Okay, I have the knowledge. When you say that, probably you're dead and you don't know it. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, the continuous improvement, again, the quality management, continuous improvement, the, the work that I do for training education programs and making sure that they meet certain requirements of quality, certain requirements of, uh, you know, benchmark. I always say an organization or training provider, you cannot say, yes, I have the best program. I have all the requirements. Because when you say that, then you don't leave any room for improvement. And that's, that wouldn't be an ideal mindset. So therefore, looking at further, further, further steps, probably, you know, it's not the destination, but yeah. it is the journey. Yeah. It's probably the knowledge that, you know, and of course, with that dichotomy of data, information, and knowledge, the fourth one, they usually put wisdom. So finally, like kind of a metacognition understanding of the whole process. And now you say, mm, now I understand. Of course, that may be true for some, but may not be true for some. That usually hits you when you retire and go to your lake house and kind of look at your last 50, 60 years. And then you finally figure things out. <laughs> it's an interesting perspective is that it's a it's a shifting target i like the idea that it is a continually evolving perspective not only from the information or data side of it but your consumption your perception your uh, filters that you either are aware of or you're not aware of that block or skew or shelter your understanding uh, to some degree because Whatever you think is how you will perceive that. And as you say, you know, years, years go by, your perceptions, your attitudes, your biases all shift for the most part. I think most people do. And so that changes the impact of what the information and data can have. So the information and data has a potential all by itself, right? It's, it's in the language. It's in the, it's in whatever we've called it. And it's our interpretation that gives it that powerful meaning in that contextualization. You know, going back to your concept of the open uh, source or the open school stuff at MIT, you're right. You know, there's no other way. It's a one way. It's like a subway. It only goes one way. Knowledge in, in growth development is not that way. You don't, you know, think of how, what, not long ago, 
uh, internships or not fellowships, but I'm, I'm trying to think of the term where you, you, you go in as apprenticeship, right? The apprenticeship model. You don't know anything. You walk in, uh, if, the, if you were trying to learn a trade, you wouldn't do it from a book. You would do it by experience and having someone to help you understand why and how and all those things. So yeah, that it is a interesting concept that information data all by itself without any kind of action orientated work or uh, energy coming out of it, it doesn't hold much oomph. And that's very true. And also that perhaps is the underlying cause, but when you look at the root cause analysis level of what is wrong with our education system, especially the higher education, we are still under the assumption of the in a contained environment, which we call this classroom, there will be an only source information, which is a professor or teacher, and then there are recipients of the students, and magically, this professor will open his brain, will transfer all the knowledge to the <laughs> students. This is almost insane, because as we know from from even Aristotle or John Dewey of, you know, a great American educator like century century ago mentioned that knowledge cannot be just transferred from brain to brain. Therefore, it is not a commodity. It can be only created individually. Every individual has to build on his own, like a kind of a block of information by doing, by learning. And at the end, the only way of learning something is learning by doing. If someone, you know, sometimes when I look at their, you know, some university uh, brochures or training program mm -hmm. promotions, that they claim that when students attend their schools or go through their educational process, they will reach the nirvana. They will be enlightened. But when I just look at the process, I don't see any futures, like ways of achieving that. Because at the end, I know if you can read those books, the teacher will just listen passively, teacher. So therefore, that difference between knowledge and information will not happen there. Only if you actively pursue yeah. and practice whatever that information given to you. The only thing that you will probably have, you will gather the information, but that will be at passive level. And probably you will forget after a couple of months, couple of years. And sometimes, you know, after a couple of days, that's what usually happens in the college time, right? Like we go and scram the whole book and next week we don't remember anything. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately we call it education. That's a cultural shift when you can change how one expects to consume and learn. I'm with you. That, that is a paradigm that has, has been a challenge for me, that kind of way. But I will say in my military experience, the best way to learn something is to teach it. In a graduate level course I was taking at Central Michigan once, it was a leadership course. And this is the first and only time I've ever seen this style done in an actual face-to-face -face classroom. The professor never was in front of the class. He was always in the back of the class. He had all the students take chapters 
They were responsible for teaching. So we, we had to teach the class, which I was like, I still remember. I, I loved that class so much. I kept all the textbooks, you know, it was just a phenomenal experience. And then yes. it was probably 10, 15 years later, I heard the terminology of flip the classroom, right? Yes. Uh, to change that whole paradigm up. So, and you know, there are a lot of neuroscience research actually supports it because when they look at the brain scan of someone teaching a subject and someone actually engaging of that subject, you know, in practice, they just see that the same sides of the brain, you know, becoming active. So teaching a subject actually a kind of a simulation, brain simulation, mm. that you feel that you're actually doing that particular practice. So it is a quite engaging process for brain. A kind of a, you are uh, engaging your brain in a simulation model. So yeah. that's, that's very true. Oh, yeah. Right. Exactly. And I'll go back to your talking about, oh, my dog's barking, with uh, learning or memorizing street or uh, driving regulations, you know, all that sort of thing. Learning from a book versus yes. behind the steering wheel, you're participating in that active simulation. So, yeah, it's a definitely, it's a tactile muscle memory, all those things versus just the consumption of information. You know, even now, higher education last five to 10 years, even more than that, we are seeing that a big shift, especially last one year because of pandemic, that was, you know, things were crazy. But one of the major shifts that I'm seeing, again, on the same level, for example, project-based learning, and especially the topic now is uh, competency-based learning, that there is no particular instructor, there is no particular instruction in an confined environment, but rather, like there are a couple of universities now applying that model, like Western Governors University is a completely competency-based model. Basically, any student you know enrolled in any course, they just been assigned a project and they just learn by doing. And the incredible thing about that you actually, when you complete the course or when you graduate, you actually have a work experience in that particular area. You just don't like gather information, but in true definition, you become knowledgeable. And that's why, especially industry employers are really enjoying that kind of model because in the current model, you have to kind of relearn everything in your job and sometimes the higher education faculty will say, oh, we are not teaching here what you can do in job or you have to unlearn everything and then relearn all this craziness. <laughs> and you kind of like you go to a college five years, four years, and you basically waste your time there. Why are you going there if you're not going to apply anything you learn in the job? That's like 90% of people will say why I'm going to college to get a job to apply my skills there. And if that is a broken chain, then that is the area that we must focus on there. I appreciate your time here today. Before we leave, I'd like to ask you what your definition is of knowledge management. I'm going to disappoint you now because after my research, and it took a while to complete my dissertation because my dissertation chair, Dr. David Schwant, was an incredible person, but he was a kind of a person that he 
leaves his students to figure things out by themselves, like in the true definition that he was saying, I'm not going to give the answer. You have to find the answer yourself. So therefore, my dissertation took longer than it did. And after that, I learned that you can't manage knowledge. You can only understand and in some ways create knowledge. The only thing you can manage is information because knowledge is so subjective, situational, and social phenomena. The time you, or the moment you think you are managing knowledge, then that probably is a red flag. Either you are managing an information or you are something doing incredibly stupid or wrong that you are basically in the wrong path. So unfortunately, after all of these years, I don't believe the term knowledge management. And that's why even in my dissertation, like 10 years ago, I changed the term knowledge management to knowledge creation, mm. because you can only understand knowledge and help creation and knowledge. But once it is created, you have to just go yeah. with the flow. Well, my friend, I thank you very much for your time today. It was a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you. I enjoy our conversation. Thanks. Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.